This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and Vidush and Ahantaraja guest hosting today from my backyard in North London, brought to you uh, by the good people at Avant's Hair Studios, the world leaders in hair restoration. Uh, we have plenty to get through today on the show. A stunning quadruple century in the county championship. Ravi Shastri's frightening blueprint for test cricket. The Commonwealth Games are coming this week. A gem of a nerd pledge, which takes us through to the second test match between Sri Lanka and Pakistan at Gaul. A scathing report into racism inside Scottish cricket. But first, as I say, we've got back on the show to co-host this week. Uh, he spent a week on the road covering the England men white ball team, uh, which must mean you're back covering cricket full-time. ESPN Crick Info's new senior correspondent. Hello, Vish. Hello, Carlo. It's nice to be back in this garden. I think usually we've got uh, less of our wits about us yes. um, when we've been in here, which is good. Using the barbecue as a bit of a stand as well for a camera. Massive fan of that. Um, yeah, back doing full-time. Uh, really enjoying it. Reminding myself that the last when I left cricket full-time, which was about, I want to say, maybe about 20... 19 ODIs were on the up and I came back and I think it's time to get rid of them. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like after what happened last week, we, we spoke with Matt Roller, your colleague from Crick Info, about the Ben Stokes retirement and we were sort of noting that, gee, one day cricket's really fallen off the, the agenda day to day, so much so that we didn't even mention Richard Punt's 100 last week. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, right, yeah, it just yeah, yeah. isn't dominating yeah. and eating up the conversation and that series that you've been covering between England and the Proteas, I mean, the first match was played in 40 degree heat or near enough in Durham. Uh, the second match was a 29 over affair and the third match was rained out. I mean, it was a bad week for a bad week, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it was the kind of ODI equivalent of you know, putting a spider in a jar full of ants. It's like, you don't really <laughs> learn anything. We kind of, you kind of leave thinking that there's no way of deciphering any of it, really, because even, you know, I, I, I was writing a review today for Crick Info about, like, what Josh Butler would have learned from the ODI series and just the ODIs in general, because that's now done. ODIs are done for the summer now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not even in August. After all that complaining about there's too many one-day internationals, exactly. that's it for months. Yeah, that is it, yeah. And, um, yeah, not just that, but, the, you know, the 25-over dash, the fact that it was rained off. There was, it, maybe maybe from Josh Butler's point of view and from an English fan's point of view, it's a little bit worrying because you kind of you leave it with no real conclusions and I say that as someone who had to pull a few out my backside last yes. night but yeah yeah very very strange and you know to have a to have an ODI series that you know in terms of the South Africa series that started with a full squad and was eventually you know I was writing a preview for what the 11 might be on Sunday and it was the easiest one I've ever done because there was no one else to pick yeah you know, one of them had retired, one of them had had heat stroke, <laughs> you know, uh, Matt Potts on that first ODI, and um, it just, just seemed a bit of a mess. Yeah, so Matty Potts only got through four overs in his one-day international debut last week. South Africa capitulated in the second, you know, the 29-over dash, so you can't really... Uh, but still, you think with these players having so much short-form experience, they wouldn't go so poorly in a, in a setting like that, on a good pitch too. And then, yeah, Leeds. I suppose the only positive for South Africa is that uh, big Rassie van der Dussen, he's averaging 75 in one-day cricket now. Uh, he's, I think, number three in the world, according to the ICC. But, yeah, building around him is going to be tough. Yeah, you say that, but I, I was thinking about it the other day, and maybe it's because we haven't seen enough cricket that, you know, the theories that we go into a series with are still, still quite prominent, even, you know, mm. a week, two weeks in. But... You look at that team, Quinton de Kock, you know, arguably not not quite in the form of his life because he's had a pretty good life in terms of white ball cricket, but he's hitting them well, you know, was on his way to getting 100 before the rains came. Uh, you've got him, you've got Rassi, you've got Markram, who is basically there or thereabouts. You've got yeah. David Miller, who seems very comfortable down at six. And, and you know, Rassi is the lead man at the moment, but it feels like all the component parts are there. And yet for all of that, they'll be playing in the World Cup qualifier. Uh, yes. Next year, rather than yeah. um, automatically qualifying, which which speaks to their um, diminishing fortunes in one-day cricket over the last three years, not just in this series. But yeah. probably uh, that's enough on that. We have to move straight on because really, I mean, that, that's it, isn't it? I mean, yeah. despite being the high-profile series in the middle of summer, you know, a generation ago, the, the one day is against South Africa. You know, middle of July would have generated so much activity. We've done two minutes. Like, well, that's that's probably that's probably enough. Yeah, but do you know the um. <laughs> The great thing about the ODIs, especially when they came before the test, was this idea that like not only would you get a first sight, it would be a bit, you know, it's like the early rounds of a boxing match. Yep. It's a bit more of feeling each other out until you get into the sixth round, which is essentially the tests. But also, like, we love a bit of drama, and that's where the niggle starts. You know, people people start having these little agendas. So, for example, Klaassen with the uh, with the side screen in the second ODI. Yep. 
that was it was almost like there's you know Roy Keane Manchester, former Manchester United and Republic of Ireland footballer turned basically you know wind up merchant pundit who's always up for a fight yeah. he says you know sometimes when you're having a bad game smash into someone just to feel something and it felt like this ODI series needed actually yeah just just have a go at him it sounds like your mate Dermot Burton yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we played with a couple of years ago that was always his philosophy if things yeah. weren't going well start a fight but there was but there was an element of that like even you know I know people don't have a particularly fond view of the press but we were in the press conference and suddenly like oh this could come alive should we poke them and you know David Willey punchy guy Clarson, yep. quite charismatic punchy guy and we're like oh yeah there's something here and then it thought I'd, ODI rained off probably the biggest talking point out of the series was when it did rain and Sky had that really interesting panel uh, with their commentators and pundits around um, the future of cricket not just about one day cricket but the game uh, more broadly and um, Ravi Shastri who's here as a commentator I mentioned off the top it was a pretty scary blueprint piece to camera uh, where and remembering that he's just finished as the coach of the Indian national team for four years it's not as though this guy is that well well that far removed from the BCCI like when he speaks you can reasonably interpret it as uh, being at least informed by what he's hearing yeah. at the top of the BCCI it was scary because it was structured yes it, it, it was reading it's like yeah, yeah we've had this on boards for a while you know we yeah but i know it's like you walk you walk into a favorite coffee shop and you know exactly what you're getting yeah right so uh, look his his takeout quote is you can't have 12 teams or 10 teams playing test cricket you've got to keep the top six keep the quality and respect quality over quantity that's the only way you can open a window for cricket to be played expand teams in one day cricket and t20 cricket if you want the game to spread but test cricket will have to reduce the number of teams that play uh, and he goes on to describe the comparison to football with the Premier League, La Liga, German League, South American, Copa America, all the rest of it talks about the World Cups. But what it boils down to is, and he sort of tempered this at the end by noting that other teams can play outside of what he describes as the, the top six, but they'll need to, to qualify for Test cricket. Yeah, right. I mean, this is exactly at the time when we've had two teams added to the schedule in 2018-19 in Ireland and Afghanistan. Great stories both. We've got the World Test Championship providing some structure at long last to the bilateral series that are played across a two-year stretch and now it feels as though we, we could be heading in the other direction and, and comments like that only sort of sharpen up that view. Yeah, like it's he said the quiet part out loud. We, we'd all suspected yeah. that this was going on in the background. And the thing I would say, yeah, it is, you know, the decision will ultimately come down to what the BCCI want to do. But there are other member nations who've contributed to this, namely, you know, the ECB and Cricket Australia. Yeah. Because those conversations... You know, the BCCI, BCCI aren't have, having those conversations on their own. I think that's one of the things that it's quite easy to have one, you know, big bad wolf, but really there are three. And for all the uh, for all the manner in which the ECB may have, you know, like we can talk about the 100 in a different way, but in terms of like how that came through, that was with a view to being like, right, we need, we need a tight, tighter schedule primarily, but we also need a schedule that's going to make us a lot of money. And And from the BCCI's point of view, when you look at test cricket, it is the moneymaker when they play two teams, England and Australia. And similarly, when England play those two teams and Australia play those two teams. And I think, in terms of like going back to what I said before about saying the quiet part out loud, right now in the UK, there is a Mumbai Indians team touring and playing second 11 games. Mm. And one of the players in that Mumbai Indians team is Dewald Brevis, yep. who is you know the next big thing, South Africa's next big thing, the next A.B. de Villiers. And he is basically having a preseason with his IPL team. Now, whether they, or not that, whether or not that is conducive to a greater evil down the line, we don't really know. But whatever it is, it is happening slowly but surely. So when when Shasti was talking about the leagues, he was talking about a T Twenty league. He was talking yeah. about a nine month IPL. And there's a there's an element of one of the things in um, like to speak exclusively about English cricket. One of the things that when you speak to agents, one of the things they implore on their players who are thinking about going white ball only is don't piss off your county because what your county gives you is a base for nine months, training, physio, coaching whenever you want it without necessarily having to apply all that to your county. And when you look at a team like Rajasthan Royals in the way they've tried to do things and replicate what Mumbai, the success the Mumbai Indians have. They've basically tried to do that. There's a reason they mm. sign a lot of English players. There's a reason they uh, have all these kind of schemes where they, you know, work with local communities and things like that. There is an element of, you know, sports washing is too harsh a term, but there is an element of PR that goes through everything like that. And when you speak to people at Rajasthan, they're pretty open about that. I'd say they're pretty open about the fact that, you know, we want to 
we don't just want to be a three-month team. We want to be a year-round team. And I, I don't know, like, you tell me, but if this feels like an offshoot of it. Even beyond going to the fact that look at the private equity that they're buying up in other leagues like yeah. the CPL. Yeah, and of course last week in South Africa yeah. where that's probably the most prominent example. We went through it in the weekly show last week that you know there'll be the IPL and then there'll be the mini IPL which yeah. will be what takes place in South Africa. And that'll, you know, I don't want to reduce it but it'll be tantamount to that, won't it? Because it'll just give the chance for the clubs to effectively have a, a second season. Can I, so I wanted to ask you about this. I thought about you straight away when the South Africa thing came through because it, it kind of broadly reminded me of a conversation we had. I say a conversation, I, had, I played no part in it because I have no expertise in this. But you were talking about the difference between the AFL and the VFL back in the day and all these different leagues going on and, and how they eventually, they were supposed to be together and then they broke apart. Do you think that's, down the line this is where we are where we have actually just almost like the PGA and European Tour you have two independent tours yeah it, it could be more the latter where you have sort of the live golf dare I say yeah. I know this won't be quite the same with the yeah. Saudi investment <laughs> in live golf but well uh, give it a minute but. give it a minute yeah sure but I, I can see where you're taking it and, and you know what I found most egregious in, in the commentary was the suggestion that uh, that these teams that weren't of the top six, so to speak, made for a bad investment for Test cricket. Like there's some exclusivity window for the big three, and like they'll always be good enough. But you know, I made the point that England weren't in the top six still a couple of minutes ago. Yeah. The last time Australia were in Bangladesh and England were in Bangladesh, they won a Test match. Bangladesh knocked off the World Test champions in January this year at home. New Zealand, who are routinely outside the top six, won that World Test Championship last year against the behemoth of India. Like, the gap between the best and the worst isn't as clear-cut as it's depicted in that commentary. It's not as though we've got, sort of, to stick with football, Premier League clubs picking on teams in the non-league here. Like, yeah. you know, and, and it's never been that way. And even in India's rise, they, they didn't become one of the most dominant players in, in global test cricket overnight. It took them decades to get to where they were as strong as they are around the world now. And it's taken what we celebrated, their investment in short-form cricket, as Harsha Bogle describes it, going into every corner of every village in India and scouring for talent and developing talent. They should be applauded for that you know we should embrace what the IPL has given the game in terms of the talent we get to see from the Indian national team and beyond but where it can compromise and maybe even eliminate a number of test playing nations that's just straight up scary stuff and the other part about television networks not enjoying uncompetitive test series I mean yeah that's that's true but um, as Andrew Nixon points out you know you, you want to look at a 50 over World Cup where are the uncompetitive games often played between full member nations yeah, uh, where, yeah. where one team thumps the other that's just cricket unfortunately you've got to put the yards in and watch the rubbish games in order to get the, the payoff and the yield of the thriller from the final ball if you I want the you, sunshine, you've got to put up with the rain. Well, I think you, I mean, I'm thinking something you wrote on World Cup final night back in 2019, you know, that idea that you tell people you know, yeah, you, yeah. who aren't cricket people, you tell them, no, I promise it can be this good. You just got to go on the journey. Yeah and, yeah. and and so it is for Test cricket, which is probably right now the most competitive format, by the way. I mean, Test cricket in the last 12 to 18 months has been exhilarating. And to think that this is the time when, when people are having that sort of existential crisis around its longevity for teams who, yeah, they don't make money when they play it at home, but let's talk about how we can spread the pie more evenly to ensure that when New Zealand play a test series at home that they make a buck or two. Like yeah. That should be where we're orienting the conversation, not talking about just kind of scrapping teams' cup lunch. The silver lining, I thought, from the Shastri comments was the fact that it is out in the open. As you say, when he talks, people listen. Yeah. And it's... I, th I think about... to the, I think back to the start of the 2020 COVID summer when Ebony Rainford-Bren and Michael Holding, you know, took the platform and owned that platform yep. in terms of talking about institutional racism within English cricket and more broadly within cricket in general in, in Holding's case... And I remember thinking, if it wasn't raining that first morning, we wouldn't have had that segment. Yeah, that was going to be at lunch, wasn't it? And yeah. it would never have had that um, no. that sort of front yeah. of house happy accident. But what a beautiful one! Yeah, and I thought, well, actually, this is you know kind of on the um, on the other side of the spectrum with that, where whereby it's oh, so now we know. Yeah, he was so articulate. Yeah. It was so forthright and it was so structured that you're like, okay, this this is happening and we're talking about it and other people are talking about it sure. and it was filled newspaper columns and it, we're just a bit more aware of it now. And I know kind of, what does that mean? What does that mean writing or, you know, talk, trying to talk to the ICC, trying to hold the ICC to account? We know that they're not really the institution to go after because they're not really an institution. Well, they're just, they're a federation. Yeah. And we've made this point on the podcast before. All they are is a a collective of representatives from the from the full member nations exactly yeah which means that 
when you've got so much power vested in the hands of so few, principally the big three, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be fast. I mean, even the fact that it's been celebrated widely. I was talking to a senior member of CA recently about the schedule and the fact that there are going to be so many more test matches across the cycle between Australia, England and, and India. And I, I kind of get it from a self-interested perspective. There will be more money made and thus more money in the game, and that's a great thing. But it doesn't have to be at the expense of uh, other cricket played outside of just India and England from an Australian perspective. Yeah, I mean, we're just the, you know, it's not just cricket, it's football as well at the moment, whereby COVID gave us a chance to reset and we thought, actually, we can come out of this in a better place, you know, a, a bit more equitable as, as a sport on, on a number of fronts. and It just doesn't play out like that. Yeah, it just provides an opportunity for the for the, the thief them, if you like, to yeah. gather their thoughts and regroup, something like that. Let's go to a positive story. Sam Northeast, 410 not out for Glamorgan between Friday and Saturday. Uh, he faced 450 deliveries, 45 fours, three sixes, a beautiful set of numbers. He hit a six to move from uh, 396 to 400. The first quadruple turn in the championship since Lara in 1994. He's... Uh, just the third quadruple century uh, this century in the 2020s uh, after in the 2000s rather after Lara made 401 uh, 400 I'm forgetting my Lara scores here 400 <laughs> against England and 501 for Warwickshire yeah. the third highest county championship score of all time behind celebrity racers Archie McLaren and Brian Lara <laughs> Uh, the 11th highest score of all time, uh, the ninth man to get a quadruple ton. Or, sorry, not the 11th highest score of all time, but the 11th quadruple ton. Uh, his average went from 38.9 to 40.2 in one hit. And when you consider it, it was the 325th first-class innings. That's a massive sample size. Mm-hmm. They could have cracked on for the all-time six-wicket record they decided to declare at lunch. In the end, lucky they didn't go on with it because Glamorgan, who were in third before the start of play, moved to second with a full points victory. They won with five overs to spare. They timed their declaration perfectly, so credit to David Lloyd for that and to the uh, the batters in question who were happy to, to pull the pin because Cook, of course, was on 191 yeah. down the other end. Uh, yeah, so a, a perfect uh, conclusion to the tale and, and this you've worked with Sam for years on, on your podcast Two Hacks and One Pro nice guys finishing first yeah absolutely and, and someone who has uh, professionally been through the ringer in the last couple of years bear in mind that so we started this podcast with him myself Wilma Furson of the Evening Standard and Sam when he was a Hampshire player and it was a product of COVID, really. Yeah. It was, you know, we'd interviewed him a couple of times on a previous iteration of that podcast and got on really well with him and thought, you know, he, he was looking to do do something in that space. And, you know, I, I kind of came on to help him and we decided, actually, why not? Three of us, why don't we yep. just get in a room and talk shop about the game? Maybe two weeks later, England announced a 55-man COVID squad. That's right, yeah. And he wasn't in it. It was more noticeable for the guys that weren't in it, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly, uh, yeah. Tom Abel mm-hmm. wasn't there. And, yeah. yeah uh, and Sam Maltese was the other big name. And it was a mix of red and white ball players. Yep. And the reason it was so big was because they were all bubbling at the Aegeus Bowl and they needed enough players to play practice games in various different formats uh, because you couldn't bring net bowlers in as well or fill in players like that. But it was... You know, you'd, you'd have had the... You know, Glenn Maxwell has been a you know, fan of the show. He's been on the podcast a number of times. He will... I'm sure I've told you a number of times you get lied to as a professional player, mm. whether it's by a selector or by a coach, someone saying, just keep doing, keep doing what you're doing. You're, you know, you're banging on the door. We're talking about you. you know, you're, you're so close. And Sam had that for the longest time. You know, he was an under-19 captain. He was kind of to the manner born. He was going to be this England player. That's, mm-hmm. At least that's what people told him. And then, you know, gets into his 30s and you couldn't have a clearer sign that you were nowhere near. And... It definitely jolted him. It got him thinking about, God, have I have I wasted so, you know these these years of my career just thinking? Could I have done more? Could I have batted in different positions? You know all the things that batters contend with. He was suddenly you know left to his own thoughts to wonder if if it was all for nothing. And it sends him on this odyssey. So remembering that he starts at Kent, he's made captain after Rob Key retires. Mm. He's pretty young, I reckon, when he's made captain in 2015, 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Leaving that gig. Hugely controversial call from him to to leave his home county. Goes to Hampshire, which is considered to be the place you go for a bit of coin. Whether it's accurate or not, neither here nor there. But the perception is, want a bit of extra dosh, go to Hampshire. You're not going for the nightlife, That's right. You're not going for the nightlife, that's for sure. We tried. (laughs) Uh, And then, yeah, last year gets loaned out a couple of times. Finds his way to a Division II county. And I must admit, I probably thought he's setting himself up for the long term to be the big dog at a, and I hate this term, but smaller county compared Mm -hmm. to those that he played at, especially Hampshire in the second division. But instead in the space of, well, half a season, 
two-thirds of a season, but especially over the weekend, his name goes back in, up in lights again. I mean, perfect timing for it, considering you know England have a very busy winter schedule. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see. So we were like, see kind of how this plays out from here because we were at um, in Manchester for the second ODI when he was uh, going to his going. To, so I can't remember what he was overnight, but when he basically went past two hundred, yep. went past three hundred, and Rob Key was was on hand and he kind of arrived oh, was he? midway through and in pubs, um, yeah. and I was sat next to Will and he comes over to us and he was like. Have you seen have you seen what Sam's doing? <laughs> and obviously him and Sam go way back. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. When, when Sam was um you know, when Sam had left Kent and there was a bit of you know, in, in very contentious circumstances, he was training with Rob Key. Rob Key was calling him up and chatting to him and helping him kind of get through to the next step and, and just kind of discussing what the next step would be. And, you know, he clearly has a lot of affection for him and, you know, he had the stream up and he was watching it. And yeah, it'd be inter- you know, he, 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 you know, in one way, he won't have a better advocate than Rob Key. In another way, you know, you, you know how these things work. You sometimes your bias goes the other way because you don't want to be seen biased. So I suppose this helps, though, doesn't it? Had he made a double, bearing in mind he never made two hundred yeah. in, in any form of cricket. His highest score in any cricket was one hundred and ninety-one before a, before Friday. There's a brilliant quote in there, isn't there, where he said he was more nervous in the one nineties and then gets to his hundred with a six yes. in the three nineties, and he was like, and he says, "What was I playing at?" Why? Why was that so much easier? The, the, the way I read that was that they were declaring at lunch, and it was—I think it was VR Mulder bowling, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And they were trying to um, drag the clock out, and he might have had three balls left. And he's like, "Well, it's in my arc. I'll have a—I'll have a dash at this and pops it over long." Oh, arm. sure, but I think—I think he was—you know—stepping back and looking at it. He was like, "What yeah, kind of sh- yeah, well, cavalier?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it certainly was a great punctuation mark. But yeah, the fact yeah. that he now—I mean, even in Australia, listening to a couple of interviews overnight, Adam White had him on his program on his breakfast show. Jared Whateley was talking about him on SCM with Robert Craddock in the morning accomplished cricket broadcasters that they are they wouldn't know an awful lot about Sam Mm -hmm. because he hasn't been on the international stage before if he now gets picked for an England squad well he'll always be known for this right he overtakes Graham Hick for what happened back in 1988 when he made that 405 at Taunton Uh, I said you know uh, one of only uh, four quadruple tons in the history of, of the county championship it means now that he has the opportunity to almost restart at age 33, which is bizarre to say, given all of that uh, history that we've gone through. But he does get a reset button here. So I was talking to a former pro a couple of weeks ago uh, who didn't play for England. And he said one of the worst things you can have as a, even when you're still active in your later years, is overhearing or reading or even seeing a tweet or something like, whatever happened to so-and-so? Yeah, you absolutely. Know, it's that wondering of, oh yeah, he was, he was a good player wasn't he that, that, that horrible line of the best player never to play for England yeah no one wants that I mean you, you know and obviously over the years you hear, you hear players like that I remember when I was growing up it was like oh Jamie Siddons only played one one day for Australia and Glenn, it was Glenn Chappell over here Glenn Chappell over yeah. here you know there have been players that have carried that tag around them and Glenn Chappell did play once of course but you know not more than once yeah. and, you know that that pain of being so dominant he was probably trending that way who knows maybe that's what his career will be this will be the uh, the the shining glory, and you'll never get the chance to take the next step. But yeah, I like the idea of him being renewed and reborn by this. Yeah, yeah. So, so I suppose yeah, the, the most recent player from an English perspective is James Hildreth. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. At least he's not going to grow his hair long like James Hildreth. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a cry for actually, help. That yeah. <laughs> it might, it might. Are you suggesting James Hildreth's run of form at the end of his career was, you know, parallel running parallel to a midlife crisis? Well, you've said it. I'm just reflecting on the sort of wispy grey hair that he's got uh, so, going on there. So the um. Yeah, like it's uh, it'd be interesting to see where he kind of goes from here because it's nice that he's had a few different iterations, as I mentioned before. Like the under 19 captain who actually started quite slowly, then the run churner who was you know 100 after 100 after 100. And when there's a hashtag made about you, the only successful hashtag <laughs> in the last 10 15 years has been Nisa Must Play. Nisa Must Play, yeah. yeah. And also, to be fair, when you brought up this Glamorgan game, I thought it was going to be a Nisa story. Well, <laughs> because he, he, you know, he, he did the... bowl him to victory, yeah, didn't he? He did. He st- he keep, still keeps chipping away doing his thing. And that's the other point of this, right? The brilliant declaration. I touched on it before, yeah, but yeah. probably the easy thing to do there as captain is going, oh, you know what? I can't deprive him a chance of breaking Lara's record. I can't deny Cook the chance of posting a double century. They've batted so well, break the all time six wicket record. I'll give them an hour. I'll give them 45 minutes. Yeah. So I'll have to bet him. But had he given them 45 minutes, Glamorgan are still in third. Now um, they're in a provisional promotion position. Even from a game situation point of view, when the team batting first goes over 550. Well, it's never happened, right? That's yeah. the highest score in a first innings, 568, where a team's lost outright. Yeah. So if you've got basically 1,200 runs between 
you in two first innings yeah. and you're into the fifth day, sorry, fourth day rather, you're probably going to think, right, it's, well, it's just flat. How are we going to take all yeah. these wickets? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, in, in many ways, it was, a, it was a fine declaration. And I think, you know, you touched on it before when you referred to Glamorgan as a smaller county. I think Glamorgan have always struggled with the perception that they're just in it for the money because they have a test match venue. Yep. They get given tests. There was, um, you know, when Durham were relegated and had, mm-hmm. you know, high-profile games taken off them, some of them were given to Glamorgan and some Durham fans rightly pointed to Glamorgan and said, but what are they doing for the game? Look at the number of England players we produce. What are they doing? They're just kind of T20s. They don't even sell out, you know, uh, their stadium slap bang in the middle of Cardiff, despite its, yeah, the location and the fact that the T20 bus does do very well in that region as well. Uh, that region, I mean, kind of like, you know, Somerset, the west of the country. But there's, uh, yeah, there's an element of, like, ruthlessness to them now. And, you know, it, it's not just... And they won a trophy last year as exactly, well. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah um, the Royal on the Cup. And it's not a case that, like, Sam's brought it to them, but they've been slowly building towards this, building with, you know, some local Welsh players backed up with some kind of hardened professionals. And if they do go up, they've absolutely earned it because it's, um, on, you could argue, on all three fronts, they're, um, they're massively improved. Glamorgan, watch this space. Sam, northeast, northeast. <laughs> Talking about your hashtag, watch this space as well. I thought, um, so So uh, Matt Roller made the point that um, when Chris Gale, you know, Chris Gale, known no, no, as a T20 gun at the moment, yep. the number on his back, 333, highest test score. <laughs> Sam Northeast, uh, <laughs> you know, should get, what, what, what did he finish on? He had 4 410. So he'd get 410 on his back. And then Imagine I, he finished on 420. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that would have been even better. Imagine the cross promotion opportunities. Well, after the Gale, after, you know, Gale calls himself the Universe boss, I'm going to start calling Sam Northeast Universe tough. So. Do it. Do it. We can make this happen. <laughs> Uh, before we get into the break in the middle of the show, we have a lot of cricket to get through in the second half. Did you catch the press release that went out from New Zealand cricket during the week? Fish? I didn't because I was too distracted by Ian Botham's Twitter feed again. Wow. I mean, both, they're all in. They're all in. I, I hope. I mean, I'm not the first person to observe that. I hope that uh, What Are You Thinking Kiss Kiss doesn't get NFT'd uh, for Botham uh, when you got the old boy out. Uh, from a New Zealand... It'll be pixelated because it'll, you know, cause it's old clip art in it. So. I suppose, yeah. With, with um, New Zealand, though... Yeah, sort of nice guys of cricket tag. It's worth noting they did have a relationship with Dream Eleven before. Now, Dream yeah. Legend, Dream Eleven is sort of thin edge of the wedge when it comes to, to gaming advertising. We've gone into that before. We don't need to cover old ground. But yeah, New Zealand choosing to go into the metaverse, so to speak, their press release. We could do an entire segment reading it out, as Jeff has before. He, Jeff enjoys reading out the sort of um, press releases full of jargon, and uh, we've heard with with withhold the urge of, of doing that right now. But yeah, just the language used there. I get that it's easy money, but. I mean, there are a lot of ways to earn, and I'm and I'm not saying that um, that it's easy for New Zealand to, to bring in cash, but this just feels gross. Well, it's linked to a conversation we had at the top of the show about you know the way that the top three test teams are you know have this little cabal where they don't really play anyone else, yep. um, and New Zealand have been the team that suffer from that. Yep. And it's weird to say that at the World Test Champions, but that's just the, that's just the truth of the matter. Like they have for so long been seen as something of a inconvenience and it always seemed that the pool to playing New Zealand was going to New Zealand like spending a bit of time in New Zealand sure yeah, it's always a, a nice place to go having a warm up you know a warm up week in Queenstown it's sure. always of that ilk isn't it and all, all you know they're a great warm up ahead of Australia they're a great warm up ahead of the you know the main event you know at the end of the summer and for so long they've yeah they've they've just had that and they and they've they they responded to it, to it for a while in the way that they've massively reduced the number of tests they played over the last five years because to them it doesn't make fiscal sense yep. and so it's unsurprising when having to find other avenues of income they go to something like NFTs and, and I should say for the record by the way that you know let's remember that Cricket Australia still have Bet three six five plus all over the boundaries or all over the, the sponge rope it's not well know, the ICC have their own crypto the ICC have their own crypto yeah. I mean uh, you know which was, support, which was sponsoring West Indies up until about a couple, you know, a couple of months ago yeah. until suddenly it wasn't there anymore everyone's going to be doing it at some point yeah. you know what no let's not say that let's hope that everyone doesn't go down this path but I suppose if Cricket New Zealand are serious maybe they can be paid in NFTs for this relationship and they can prove that <laughs> <laughs> and they can be paid in revenue from yeah, whatever exactly. it is. You know what? Put your money where if, your mouth is. If you really believe it, get paid in crypto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. But yes, it's a, as they've described it, a landmark five-year deal. As for um, as for Ian Botham, um, let's read out the tweet, <laughs> shall we? My first ever NFT will be released on the 
whatever it's called. Uh, Caduceus, I think. Yeah, uh, through light cycle. Bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> this is my part of the journey to bring cricket to the metaverse. Join the cycle Discord and stay tuned. I mean, Hashtag honestly. Lord Botham. Hashtag, Hashtag Lord NFT. Botham. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just too much, isn't it? I think he was sending it to his daughter. I like, yeah, I was going to say, I like your old stuff better than your new <laughs> yeah. stuff. Uh, even if your old stuff did involve, you if, know. So if you were to pick one cricketer to take you into the best of us, how low, if you were to have a list of, you know, how low down would both of be down that list? You know what? I, re- I would have Chapel above both of them. Yeah. I'd have Ian Chappell above both of them if someone yeah. to take me on the... Well, uh, my word, the I'd have Ian Chappell any day. I'd take him <laughs> over Ian both of them on, a, on, any, on any particular journey. It's a, right. a real kind of, are we the baddies moment? From an ashes attitude of approaching these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Vish, before we take a breather, let's do a bit of nerd pledge. Now, Fred Cowan is our pledger this week. Uh, and his number is 458. Now, he says here, I was asked recently who my favourite Pakistani player was, and my answer is linked to 458. Originally, I looked at Ashraf Ali, unlikely as it is, but he's the only Pakistani test player to finish with an average of 45.8. He played eight test matches in the 1980s. Um, he had a brother who was prolific as well. I saw there are 458 high-resolution pictures on Getty of Rana Navid Al-Hassan. How many of those pictures were taken after his hair transplant? Oh, well, advanced hair, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> um, uh, the second clue that came through kindly from Fred was just the, an emoji of a crab. Right, okay. Um, which got me to fail yeah, alarm quite yeah. quickly. Now, he did have a strike rate in a couple of one-day internationals against Australia a million years ago of 45.8, but I thought, surely that's not where Fred's going. I deduced that it must have something to do with the gap between the time in which his test career was on hold. So from the 24th of November, 2009, until the 20th of August, 2020. This is where it got interesting for me. That is 559 weeks and two days. And I thought to myself, oh, that, that feels like about, you know, that, that's about 10 years and nine months, isn't it? And this is the most niche sort of indie <laughs> cricket crossover of all time, but... Art Brute's dance floor filler, Emily Kane. In fact, I'll drop it in here. I've not seen her in ten years. Nine months. Three weeks. Four days. Six hours. Thirteen minutes. Five seconds. So as you hear there, for Eddie Argos, who's the lead singer of Art Brute, it's been ten years, nine months, three weeks and change since he's seen his old flame. Farwood Alarm was out of Pakistan's test team for 10 years, eight months and three weeks, exactly one month the difference. One month the difference. I couldn't believe this. I mean, for all the configurations of numbers. So uh, that's my indie crossover with Farwood Alarm. You've probably never heard that before. <laughs> um, he was actually dropped last week, Farwood Alarm. I know, Extraordinary incredible. scenes. Uh, Osman Samiuddin, oh, your boss now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And uh, a friend of ours, uh, he put up a tweet Obviously, he knows more about Pakistani cricket than anyone about the injustice of that. But he has been recalled. I mean, bear in mind, he was dropped from the Pakistan team after missing out in Karachi and Lahore against Australia. And that's it. Gone. Yeah. But he's been brought back for the second test match, which is playing out at the moment for Azarelli, who's been left out for the first time in eight years. And he made a massive hundred against Australia in the first test at Royal Pindi uh, back in March too. So one veteran replacing another. Um, and that was after Pakistan's stunning chase last week where they hauled in about 340 mm-hmm. odd in the final innings. I'm quite happy with my call in Pakistan saying Abdullah Shafiq's going to make 10,000 test runs, by the way. Yeah, well, um, he looks proper, doesn't he? Goodness me, he's good. Yeah. He, he, uh, but anywhere between about cover and backward point, punching off the back foot, those wrists uh, there, he's a... He's a very gifted special player, only 21, mm. and he only played two first-class games before being picked for the test team. So they've, they've got, a, got a live one there. Um, but yeah, um, Sri Lanka started well, though. Uh, they were 315 for six overnight with Dinesh Chandimal continuing his bumper run. He made 80 of those. So that doesn't get us to what uh, Fred Cowan's talking about say, with 458. I'm still, I'm still thinking about this. Um, yes, but uh, yeah, I, I do love that. That song takes me straight back.
straight back to well, you've been to Razzmatazz with me back in Melbourne years ago, Vish. I, I think of all my friends from there, not least Amelia, who um, had her second baby last week. Oh. Love you, Amelia. Arabella. Congratulations. Uh, so uh, she probably isn't listening. Her twin sister, Cressida, probably is. Uh, we love you as well. But yes, uh, that song and that uh, time frame is nearly bang on for Forward Alarm. So what you can do, Fred, is let us know what 458 actually means in relation to Forward Alarm. And we'll return to it on the Revisit show, which this week... Storytime 99 is gigantic. So Jeff's not here with us this week because he's been a bit poorly over the weekend and partly because uh, preparing a, a Storytime program with about 30 numbers and about 30 obscure clues is not easy. So um, Jeff's allocating his time wisely in Manchester where he is at the moment and we'll be back together tomorrow for a long interview. More on that later. All right, let's take a break on the final word. Uh, and after that, we're going to be talking about uh, a couple of other series that are going on around the world and we'll look forward to the Commonwealth Games. Hi, my name's Kate Cross, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. As ever, The Final Word Cricket Broadcast is brought to you by the Advanced Hair Studio, the world leaders in hair restoration. Bish, 15% off if you go to Final... You don't go to Final Word Cricket. You go to advancedhairstudio.com forward slash final word. All you need to do is put in uh, your details and you are through to the semis without dropping a set. I caught up with uh, our friend Steve Kinane, the ABC's European correspondent. He's back from Ukraine at the moment. Saw him on, on the weekend and he's got great hair. He does. Outstanding actually. hair yeah. for a man of a certain age, which you won't like, probably won't like me saying that. He's not, you know, he's not 100, but he's not 30 either. His hair looks like it's, he's still, you know, going out to razzmatazz on a Saturday night. You're right, he's not 100. No, not even close. <laughs> Uh, and uh, he, he was he was chuffed that we were talking about advanced hair and thought it was hilarious that Jeff and me with hair like us would be uh, talking about them week to week. But so we are. You, you've got good good lid too. I feel you like me though. If you ever lost it, I mean really started losing it, you'd be pretty quick to get it sorted Oh, that, yeah, you? definitely, yeah. I mean, it's not yeah. as though I'm never going to go bald without trying to intervene first. Yeah, yeah. You've always been a, f- a fighter, haven't you? You're a scrapper. That's, yeah. what, that's what they say about you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I wouldn't leave the house if I lost my hair. (laughs) And of course, you're free to make that decision on your own account. You are, yeah, yeah. If you haven't got hair and you've made the call to go the other way, that's great. We're not saying if you don't have hair, stay inside. (laughs) We're definitely not saying that. Advancedhairstudio.com forward slash find a word for 15% off and you can uh, pally up with the world leaders in hair restoration and we thank them for all their support of the final word throughout the summer of 2022. The England women have been playing a fairly unremarkable series against South Africa's women. South Africa, we talked about it last week, Jeff and I, that they look so good in the World Cup and they've been rubbish over here. We had Laura Wolvart on the show last week. She made a half century in the first T20 International the day after we spoke to her, but they only made 111 for nine in their 20 overs. Wolvart made 54 from 49, I think it was. Um, it was probably uh, a game that we uh, reflected most upon for Sophia Dunkley going to the top of the list, boshing 59 from 39 balls in that brief chase. She hit three sixes in the power play. Uh, that recalibrated England batting lineup. The major piece of that was Dunkley going up and it's working. Yeah, yeah, it's you know it's certainly one of the big truisms about white ball cricket in general. But best players got to face the most balls, get them yep. on the order, and especially at a time where the the whole team is in a in a state of controlled flux. I'd say you know yep. if you start at the back with the with the bowlers and the changes that we've had there, but also someone like Dunkley is she's always been you know when you talk to people who've who've known her for a while. They've always kind of pended in as a three, really, haven't they? They've always had something about her that that they thought was go through the gears, drop back down, and then go up again, and certainly had the fitness to do that. And obviously, it's a bit different with having Heather Knight there and someone who's going to take command of those three, four positions. But she's so so malleable. And I suppose the problem with a player as malleable as she is is sometimes you misuse them. Sometimes you might drop them a bit further down. But I feel like it's we're in a stage now where certainly under Lisa Cartley, where because maybe she's come from the outside, she's a bit more, you know, she's got clearer eyes when she's looking at these players. Yeah, and I like with Cartley how she's pretty upfront about why Beaumont's not in that Commonwealth yes. Games squad. I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's a tough call. It's a tough but, call. But, but also on... it's quite a logical call when you go yeah. through, the, you know, where they fit in and now Dunkley's moved to the top of the list. Beaumont found herself batting at six in the last T20 World Cup when there wasn't quite that depth. And they've brought that depth through the... Uh, the domestic structure, and, and now it's paying off in just two years. Yeah. Even just out of habit, you would write an England team down and, you know, Beaumont on Winfield a couple of years ago, wasn't yep. it? That yep. was just that gut reaction, and then, like, maybe someone like Wyatt. But, yeah, it, it was in- incredibly gutsy. It was when, it, you know, when the press release came through, it was a bit like, 
they've made a mistake, haven't they? Like, can we, <laughs> you know, we know the media manager. It was like, I think you've got a bit of a typo at the I top I remember of that. that happened once with um, when uh, the Labor government in December 2007 were announcing the first cabinet and a senior cabinet minister, Stephen Conroy, wasn't on the press release. He's like, hang on, what's going on here? <laughs> He's about to be, about to be um, sworn in as, a, I think he was leader in the Senate or deputy leader in the Senate, but not on the media release. It was kind of a bit of that, wasn't there? But yeah, the... It was a good call. I say a good call. In retrospect, who knows what we'll say in a couple of weeks after the Commonwealth Games have been run and won. But, you know, Izzy Wong making her third international debut in the space of three weeks, quite frugal in that first one day. And the other side of the spectrum, they've managed Brunt perfectly. Didn't play the test match. I've got a, you know, sneaking suspicion that she might be sort of, and this is hardly revelatory, but maybe the Commonwealth Games will be the end of the road for her. Maybe, on the other hand, with Brunt, far be it me to sort of presuppose anything with her she's an independent thinker and she'll pull the pin when she's ready to pull the pin but you know she took four for 14 her best figures in mm. t20 cricket at what we're expecting will be the, the final stands of her career yeah like obviously i think there's i wonder if she'll go once round on the you know on the t20 circuit just for for the sake of it i suppose and also just it feels like at a time where things are aligning a lot better in that space but yeah, I mean, it's a straight. I, I kind of hope it's not, just through the fact that we don't really know what the Commonwealth Games is is going to be in terms of something that has a bit of longevity for the women's game. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, and that, that all starts on Friday, of course, yeah. as well. Australia. Oh, I should say the second T20. South Africa performed better with. Uh Annika Bosch making 61 and Laura Goodall making 41. I mean, that's a good sign. That wasn't yeah. runs being made by the usual suspects, but England got there in 19 overs. Siver, as acting captain, uh, night missed with a niggle, uh, made 47. Wyatt, 39 from 24, so she's uh, hitting her straps at the right time. They got a game into Bryony Smith batting at three. Didn't work, but again, they're, they're sort of playing uh, members of that group of 15 who'll gather in Birmingham later this week after their final T20, which is actually later today yeah. at Derbyshire. There was the women's tri-series ahead of the Commonwealth Games in uh, Northern Ireland between Australia, Pakistan and Ireland. Unfortunately, that was a bit of a damp squib. Literally, there were three games rained off. The last two were rained off over the weekend. Alana King took wickets every time she bowled, though. She was player of the series. Talia McGrath made 74 and landing 70, the only time that Australia got the chance to bat first. So Australia win the trophy, albeit only playing a couple of games. It's a quick and nasty comp, the comms. Uh, there are two groups of four. Australia play India in the opener on Friday, followed by Barbados representing the West Indies against Pakistan. All of the Barbados games will have international status as the West Indies, so it's, it's not perfect, but I'm not losing any sleep over it. Mm. Needs must mm. in a situation like this. Then on the Saturday, New Zealand start their campaign against the Proteas and England uh, play Sri Lanka in that prime time spot, presumably on BBC television on Saturday night, so that's great. Looking at the groups, you'd say that Australia and India are overwhelmingly likely to go through from Group A with Barbados and Pakistan, the other two teams there. And in Group B, you think it's probably New Zealand... Uh, and England with South Africa badly out of form at the moment and Sri Lanka the fourth team in that group so time will tell but the very fact that it's going to be front and centre Vish uh, can't wait for it to start and see how it works we've not had women's cricket uh, in a competition like this before and I suppose they'll be part of a much bigger apparatus and, and part of the team and that'll be maybe even a once in a generation opportunity for these players yeah yeah absolutely it feels quite cool to be we're in a quite a neat space when it comes to women's sport in general in the UK at the moment what with the women's Euros going on over here in England through to the semi-final and you know you mentioned the BBC there like I think a lot of people you know cricket's the kind of sport when it's played in something like the Commonwealth Games it very rarely gets a new viewer and it's not in the same way yeah. that I would, I would watch the gymnastics at sure. the Olympics but you do get it's exactly the com, kind of competition that gets a lot of you know lapsed viewers lapsed yep. fans you know some floating voters and I think the way those few of those teams are playing um, maybe not quite South Africa at the moment but you could say the way that India and Australia and England and what we know New Zealand can do there is a because it's such a small condensed tournament, it feels like the quality will be that little bit higher in the kind of condensed space that it yeah. occupies. Yeah, that's right. I, th I think, as, as you do, that this might give the the game a chance with some with a, something of a new audience and and good luck to it. And also, it'll 
hopefully provide evidence of why it could work in the Olympic Games, but that's a bit of a watch this space as well. Uh, the last thing we'll talk about today, oh, by the way, thanks everybody who watched the Laura Bulvart interview either on YouTube or listened on the podcast last week. She was an absolute gem. We probably only appreciated how good she was when we listened back to the interview. Surely she's the future captain of that team. She's a star. She, Yeah, that interview was incredible because it just reinforced a few things because we always talk about how she could have done many, many different things. Yeah, yeah. You know, when she was here for the 2017 World Cup, she was on her way to medical school or yep, something like that's that. That's right. She's, yep. She can sing, she can dance, <laughs> <laughs> but, and she can bat. Um, and, I mean, that's future, this future Captain Stephen Zero right there. Yeah, yeah. We do have another major interview uh, coming up on the feed this week. I won't tell you who it is, but I will say this. It'll be... The person on the final word, no one has ever scored more runs than this person coming on the final word. No one will have ever scored more professional runs. Yeah, I'm fairly certain that's right. Then the guest we have tomorrow, which will come out in a couple of days. The last topic, we're going to touch on it briefly because Jeff's going to Scotland as well. So he'll be able to get more information on the report that was released over the weekend. It's actually released today, but it was leaked on Saturday about institutional racism, which is what it was called in Scottish cricket. Uh, The board resigned as one on Sunday. We are truly sorry and we have apologised publicly to everyone who's experienced racism or any other form of discrimination in cricket in Scotland, they said as they, they all collectively pulled the pin. Sports Scotland commissioned the report and it was prepared by an organisation called Plan for Sport, who are a diversity specialist group. Over 200 people gave evidence. It was brought upon after Majid Hack um, uh, made accusations last year around uh, Yazim Rafiq's story. He played 200 times for Scotland up until the 2015 World Cup. His allegation is that he was moved on from Scottish cricket on the basis of race. So uh, that's been, yeah, borne out in the report, although I must say I've not read it yet. We will read it. We will treat this properly, but just marking a place in, you know, Vish, you spent lots of time in Scotland. You spent your university years there. Yeah, yeah. It was quite um, it was quite shocking, actually, when it came out that the whole board resigned over the weekend. I think the, the fact that it was bubbling over the last year was quite... I think if you look at how, how it's played out, Cricket Scotland took the allegations very seriously immediately. And perhaps the fact that it was aligned with what Yorkshire were undergoing yep. and the fact that Yorkshire went first and completely botched it which probably helped in terms of showing other organisations how they shouldn't behave in that situation. I think the thing that, I suppose to, to work backwards from here, the thing that I'm a, I was a little bit worried about with the board retiring, uh, resigning was that, you know, I, I've just come from, from Headingley. Lord Kamalash Patel yep. did the rounds in the press box. And Yorker is still struggling to bring in not so much the right people, but the amount of people they need, not just a boardroom level, but in terms of dealing with media, that kind of media, and also just putting people in place to rebuild the club in the the way that they need to. And I mean that in a sense of because they've lost so well, many people. In, yeah, in key positions. And, you know, there's that Some of whom have, uh, yeah, there's, have taken it, well, who, who are contesting the dismissal. Yeah, yeah. So that's a tribunal in September, October later this year. But primarily they... What happens in this situation is there is a vacuum that doesn't really get filled, or certainly it gets filled with people who are focused one way, or people who don't, who don't necessarily have the expertise to work at a board, whether it's at international or, or county level. And the knock-on effect that I've seen is that you know the playing group at Yorkshire they're a bit disillusioned, not necessarily with the the movement of travel for the county itself, but more more the fact that the actual cricket playing part becomes a bit secondary. And now that this is that is a knock-on effect after a knock-on effect of how things have been going at the county. But primarily they need to get people in there as soon as possible to even just react to what the, what the report is going to say. Because mm. it's not so much... As much as it is about holding people to account, the reason these things are commissioned is to say, right, where do we go from here? And it's important to get those people in straight away. And now to speak on, you know, Kazim Sheikh and Majitak, as you mentioned, who are the people who've certainly put their faces to these allegations. Because the thing I think we should underline, as we should always with the Yorkshire thing, that often gets discarded because we have a name in Azim Rafiq and a face in Azim Rafiq who's talked about it, is that this is not down to two players. There is a body of, uh, you know, a, a body has gone through and spoken to a number of players. Over 200 people have been interviewed yeah. for this. Many people who don't want to be on the record, many yeah. people who don't want their names to it, who have gone and had conversations either over the phone or in person and talked about it. 
their experiences of Scottish cricket. And I think it's also important to say that this isn't just a Scottish problem in the way that it's not just a Yorkshire problem or an Essex problem. So it'll be interesting to see how, given the ECB's investigation into Yorkshire has gone on for so long, it'll be interesting to see what we garner from this report and indeed how the whole process is approached. Because they've seen, you know, (laughs) neighbours south of Hadrian's will go about it in one way. And it's not been a quick way, and to be honest, so far it hasn't been an effective or a smart way. But they have an opportunity here to to come out the other side, you know, in, in quite a strong position. Yeah, I think that's right. So with respect to the how it was pulled together, I mean, they've got a crisis comms firm working for Cricket Scotland right now, which gives a sense of, and they've got no board, right? So it's going to be a rugged time for them. But yeah, and and the point you made around around Yorkshire as well. I mean, they they have got. A long way to go, but I think they've they've garnered a lot of goodwill for in the last little while. I mean, by throwing the doors open, Lord Patel doing lots of media, acknowledging where there's divisions in the club. I think one of the most telling points in his interview on Test Match Special, probably around the Leeds Test, it would have been, uh, is when he said there'll be some Yorkshire members who never accept what happened as mm-hmm. racist. And, and the contrast to this is that that term institutional racism that's quite a loaded term in the broader discourse at the moment like for them to say that they will know it'll be a lightning rod and that's going to presumably be the catalyst for hopefully real change into the future once we've seen the the warts and all report which has been written but also uh, making people pay attention because i think that as Lord Patel said, there will be some people who won't, and you need to use forceful language for it to to cut through. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely spot on. It's not because the issue has been that over you know over generations, certainly in my lifetime, elements of it have been sugarcoated. Certainly in the way that it's reported and the language used, and therefore people think actually well, maybe it's not that big a deal. Yeah, and the, I, th- I think the other thing to say because it's lost in the term inst- institutional racism on people who see it as an outright attack on on the institution that they love or that they work for, is that it isn't just pointing at someone and calling them a slur. It's having that mindset of, you know, one of the phrases that was used here, which is also a phrase that came up in the Yorkshire investigation, was too many of you lot. Like this idea that there is, you know, that there's something off about someone. Othering them, exactly that, yeah. And even just doing it covertly without actually, you know, being nice to their face and being like, well, actually, you're not going to be in our team because we, we think you're a little bit different or we, we just think the way you, you might not go for a drink with the rest of the team that's a little bit awkward we want we want a group of players who like 11 on the field 11 in the bar that kind of thing mm, mm. and so a lot of it is behavioural as well and, and just like changing attitudes and when people talk about education they don't mean you can't call him that they mean here's why you need to take another step to make him feel a bit more included because he doesn't do this or he doesn't do that yeah. His family situation is this, and his that's right. It's sort of that. almost like here's how you need to understand, but that by virtue of the the world you've grown up in, you are going to um, be wired a certain way. It's not yeah. about making it about the individuals per se. It's about making them understand it's part of a broad culture. Anyway, quite heavy stuff to finish the show, Vish. We will talk more about Scotland in, in weeks to come. As I say, I think Jeff's intention is to get up there while he's in the UK. Uh, right, that's it, I think. Uh, Vish, thanks for being a wonderful co-host as ever. Final word is brought to you by the Advanced Test Studio. Uh, jump on advancedtestudio.com forward slash final word for your 15% discount on the full service, the full works. Get your locks looked at. We're going to have that big bumper interview dropping into the feed. Let's call it part two of the weekly show. Uh, we didn't want to do it all in one. Otherwise, it'd be a, it's going to be a 90-minute interview by the sounds of things. So we didn't <laughs> want it to be a two-and-a-half-hour um, show this week. And, of course, we'll be back with story time on the weekend as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks to the team uh, at Bad Producer Productions, especially Dave Collins, who edit us and make us look pretty. James Hurley, who does all the video. If you have not yet been to our Instagram and Facebook since we started using it, our Twitter account as well that was moribund for three years. We've got the <laughs> clips going out there, so there'll be a nice clip of Vish. If you're hearing it on the podcast and you're like, I wonder what that Andrew Strauss-sounding character looks like in, in real life, you can um, take a look at the clip we'll pull out of him. All right, that's it. This has been The Final Word. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll do it all again later in the week. Bye-bye. Go!